Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Ikerk. My guest today is Tony Bell. He is a portfolio manager and head of global at Bunani Fund Managers. He has been an investment professional for many years and has been the chief investment officer at several asset managers, including Netcore Investment Bank, Peregrine Quant, and now Vunani. Tony, welcome to the show. We are currently seeing very volatile markets, uh, especially in emerging markets uh, due to the coronavirus. What are your views on the impact of this virus and the way markets have reacted? Rex, thanks very much for inviting me onto the show and um, a good day to all the listeners. The coronavirus really has um, been a little bit of a black swan to use that uh, that term in the sense that um, no one really knows what the origin or source of it is. There are rumors floating around the markets that it has certain biological capabilities attached to the virus. And I think that's why the Chinese authorities have moved very aggressively to contain the virus as quickly as they can. Not being a medical expert, I can't comment further on that. But I think where it impacts the markets is on obviously capital flows and certainty of earnings growth. And if you look at the interconnectedness of markets these days, the sheer impact of China's imports and exports to the rest of the world is very meaningful for EM complex Australia, South Africa in terms of minerals, and then exports, you know, uh, the iPhones that we all enjoy are largely produced in China, so the disruption in the the product chain line can start to impact uh, companies' growth prospects down the line, and that's what the markets are very unsettled about. But we've seen a significant decline in many markets. Uh, Even the U.S. market reacted very negatively. And then, as if something miraculously happened, it turned around and was uh, hitting new highs virtually on a daily basis during the past week or so. Is that a normal reaction? I think that one's going to try and separate. Um, I always look at it in terms of the three drivers. Uh, liquidity has been um, liquidity injections by the Fed's central banks, particularly People's Bank of China, have been very significant. I think that the People's Bank of China has pumped more liquidity into the market in the last month than cumulatively since the 2008 crisis. And the Fed has uh, changed its stance quite materially from one of tightening to one of liquidity. So liquidity is pushing these markets very, very hard in the short term. As a fund manager, what I try and do is I look through the liquidity driver into the earnings growth and the interest rate environment drivers, and there one finds that for the time being, the interest rate drivers are also supportive of equities. Bond yields have firmed in the last while, indicating that even though the U.S. is now 10 years into its recovery, uh, inflation is still very uh, absent from the um, from from the picture, as is the case with with Europe uh, and and Asia. And I think given the geopolitical environment that we're in, uh, there's really a lot of talk about fiscal spending. In other words, uh, government spending. Uh, Donald Trump will use it um, more assertively as he moves into uh, his presidential re-election campaign. Uh, Boris Johnson has used it very aggressively. Uh, And of course, China is spending very heavily to keep the economy afloat. And I think that's what markets 
have responded to as opposed to the short-term impact on earnings growth of the virus and the knock-on effect onto growth. Tony, this is a complicated environment. How do you invest in, in this market? Rick, a, a very simple answer uh, to a complex question is when I look at the 11 sectors that the MSCI has broken up into, I find that uh, in eight out of the 11 sectors, the top five companies globally dominate margin and earnings. And so one of the core strategies I have followed for a while in this fund is really to focus on companies with low volatility and high sustainability of earnings. And that certainly has pulled through in the performance numbers. Uh, The fund has a very um, broad base of exposure to a range of stocks. The the, the highest exposure in the portfolio is Apple at 4.67%. And the lowest one at the moment is waste management at about 1.22%. What I try and do is I find sectors and companies within sectors that have very dominant uh, and sustainable earnings streams, and then I pair them together in a way where there is no specific single stock exposure to any company. And the other aspect of the portfolio that has been true since inception is that I manage the portfolio uh, risk very aggressively so that if I do start to see weakness in either the markets I move to cash or in a stock, I reduce position size. You refer, of course, to the uh, Global Macro Fund. It's a fund that has won um, Raging Bull Awards and congratulations on those awards. Uh, The one-year performance uh, last year actually was 18.3%. Over the past three years, uh, nearly 14%, which is uh, excellent indeed. Uh, I just want to question the the top two um, positions are in Apple as well as Microsoft, two big companies. Uh, But Mm. several people would look at Google, uh, look at Tencent, um, some of the other significant players in the international technology space, Facebook even. Why are you specifically looking at Apple and Microsoft and not to the the other players? Yeah, it's a lovely question. Um, I struggle a little bit with identifying the persistency in earning streams from companies like Facebook and Google. They are very much uh, one revenue stream models, mostly advertising. Uh, Whereas what I like with uh, Apple and Microsoft, uh, they're, they're, they're different arguments to each. Apple really is a product originated with originate tool with a very big distribution platform that it can monetize. We all like our iPhones and MacBooks and so forth. And Microsoft, like Adobe, which is also held in the portfolio, has changed its licensing model from an annual to a per-user cloud-based system. So in my research, I have preferred to go for companies that have high levels of annuity income with a very dominant presence in the cloud space uh, over which they can add product and margin over time. Um, Google is a very, very distributed company. It has a significant amount of R&D and it's trying a lot of new things and certainly a great company. But I just like the the conservatism of those two. And at the time I was buying Apple um, heavily into the portfolio, believe it or not, it was on a PE of 11. No, it has run extremely hard, but uh, so mm. uh, have most of the U.S. 
shares you have in your portfolio. What, what do you think of the current valuation of the American market? Um, Greg, another interesting question. Um, we did a little exercise the other day where we had a look at what the price earnings multiple of the market would be if you adjust for uh, the very significant share buybacks that have taken place over the last number of years. Uh, and for listeners who might not understand what a share buyback is, it's simply a company using cash to buy back its own shares instead of paying dividends or reinvesting in new products. So when a company buys back shares, it reduces the number of shares in issue, and that's very earnings-enhancing uh, over time. If you adjust for share buybacks, the price earnings multiple of the S&P goes from 18 to just below 40. And that would suggest to me that we're in the final phase of a very extended bull market. Uh, we've seen a number of the key indicators showing lower growth ahead. Uh, U.S. Treasuries have declined. The Brent oil price has declined significantly. Copper has declined. And gold is moving higher. So for the time being, investors are still desperately searching for any growth that they can find. And they're paying high pre premium and PE multiples on these stocks. Um, in the many years that I've uh, been engaged in fund management, uh, it's not often you get a repeat of 70 80% uh, per annum on companies like Apple and Microsoft. And perhaps just to illustrate the point, um, the current excitement around Tesla is very indicative of the liquidity excess in the market, which is... Uh, is I'm, I'm monitoring very closely because I do think, having been through about seven bear markets, that uh, if the liquidity taps get turned off for whatever reason, uh, these valuations will prove to be um, very vulnerable. Looking at uh, my plan's local funds, I'm looking at the uh, Inflation Plus 3 fund, Inflation Plus 5, as well as the Inflation Plus 7 fund. The fund mm. allocation or the positions you have are very similar in the three funds. Um, you have NASPAS, Anglo-American, British American Tobacco, Bidvest, uh, Anglo-American Platinum. Uh, just take us through your, you, you know, your perceptions because all of these uh, companies are have a lot of external or international exposure. What is your thinking mm. within these funds, um, and, and why do you include, you know, the same companies in your different uh, funds, looking at uh, different inflation targets? Right, nice question. Um, when those funds were designed, I also am the manager on those funds. When those funds were designed way back when, they were designed to provide a client with uh, consistency across um, exposure to different investments. So you'd expect to see very similar bonds, very similar shares. But where they differed was in terms of how much we allocated to each asset class in terms of risk. So Logically speaking, a CPI plus three fund would have about half the risk of a CPI plus seven fund in equities. So the main focus on those funds is very much to get the asset allocation right. You will see if you look through the fact sheets that uh, for the past year we have called the market reasonably well. We have been long global equities, which have done very well. We have been long nominal bonds, very short domestic inflation-linked bonds and we've had a fair proportion of cash in the funds. 
the objective of the fund, of each of those funds, is to try and achieve targets uh, with the least possible risk and certainly with the focus being on minimizing drawdown risk. So whilst there would be some scope and opportunity to have, uh, for example, a different set of stocks in the uh, CPI plus 7 from the CPI plus 3, I find that the difference at the end of the day is far more ascribable to the asset, getting the asset allocation call you know, than worrying whether I've got 8% in mass pass and the 1 and 12 in the other. So it is definitely an asset allocation decision, which is interesting. But Absolutely. looking at the yeah, but looking at the local market currently, my perception is many asset managers regarded as uh, relatively uh, cheap, uh, and that there are mm. great companies trading at uh, very low price earnings ratios. But there's not an expectation mm. that the market will uh, arise uh, in in the short and near term. How do you look at the valuations then of the, the local market in that perspective? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I've, I really have for a long time thought about this emerging market valuation argument because the same argument has been applied to other emerging markets as well. So I think the, the crisp answer is that um, we have the State of the Nation address tonight. I think there's a significant amount of uh, continuing policy uncertainty uh, and South Africa doesn't really have a growth problem. It has a capital allocation problem. And that is that very few businesses are prepared to commit new capital and very few foreign investors prepared to invest new capital in the face of uncertainty around ownership and uh, things like policy uncertainty. So I think the market discounts all of that. Companies themselves are being aggressively restructuring their balance sheet. But if you look through into the banks, the insurance companies, many of the retailers, the growth vectors are very single-digit-ish. So until we see some sort of impetus where we have fiscal policy stimulus, which the country can't afford, or external injection of capital, I just can't see the growth vector improving. And I think the market will keep the PE rating low as a result. So how, how would you look at individual companies? Uh, would you prefer companies who actually invest or allocate capital uh, into their operations or do you look at companies that are conservative and preserving cash? It depends a little bit on what sector the company is. You know, if you take the telecom companies, for example, MCM and Vodacom, they really are ex-growth. So it really is a question of how, how well they can maximize their margins uh, given a very, very low-growth top-line environment. Um, other companies, what you're looking for in terms of producing really good long-term returns like we've seen in the global macro portfolio is you want a company to be able to take a portion of its free cash flow, invest in new projects, and in the process either maintain or improve its return on equity. So when I have a look at the characteristics of the global macro portfolio versus the MSCI, you typically find that the portfolio has a higher return on equity, higher free cash flow generation. Yes, you are paying a slightly higher PE, but you're also less worried about high levels of debt. If you flip that onto the reverse side and companies are not generating cash, not able to expand their ROE, uh, a simple example would be if you compare transaction capital to uh, in one of the major four banks or Capitec. 
um, transaction capital and Capitec have been able to expand their businesses quite aggressively using internally generated cash flow, not debt. And that reflects in the relative price performance between uh, those two banks and the four more stable banks that are largely stuck with a book that, uh, that isn't growing. So at the end of the day, one as a fund manager always has to try and find a balance between the dividend arguments where companies, certain companies are paying very high dividends. That's a good example, Vodacom. And you've got to balance the client's exposure with, with some growth aspect. Otherwise, all you're going to end up producing is a high dividend yielding portfolio. Yeah. So how would you advise investors? Uh, look at value in the local market uh, or uh, get for safety of uh, more expensive international markets, um, but that removes some of the local risks. Uh, how do you think investors should approach the current scenario? Maybe just a slightly different choice of words to answer your question. I would say that uh, South Africa is yield rich but growth poor, and the international market is growth rich but yield poor. So typically where we have the opportunity, we uh, take as much exposure to yield in the local market, either through nominal bonds or high dividend yield companies, where we're not expecting a lot of growth. And within the international market, even with the risks that we've spoken about, at any point in time, I'm very comfortable with between 30 and 50 uh, global companies where the growth vectors uh, are quite uh, impressive going forward. Uh, and my role as the fund manager is to balance the, the market-related risk of, of a setback in markets with, with the growth that those companies are producing. And if you look through the portfolio in the global market space, you know, you can get exposure right the way through from Alibaba. I've, I used to have some Amazon in the portfolio. I have actually sold it off. Nike has done very well. Waste management has done well. So there's a raft of companies in very different sectors that are benefiting from this very aggressive uh, push by governments, both fiscally and monetarily, to keep growth going. And, and that's been reflected in the difference in share prices. Just coming back to that point, there's a lot of short-term incentives, short-term liquidity. It, it can stop actually quite abruptly. Is that a big risk? Yes. Rick, it's probably in, uh, the single biggest thing that I concern myself uh, with at the moment. I've been through about six or seven stock market declines in my career of 30% or more starting in 1987. And almost every single one of them was precipitated by a liquidity-driven event. I think, ironically, although the, the coronavirus, you know, is, is, is very serious, uh, it has paradoxically created uh, a surge in this stage of the business cycle uh, that would be unprecedented for central banks to follow. China, Bank of uh, the Central Bank of Europe, and, and also uh, the Fed pushing hard on liquidity with a lot of fiscal spend. So it's a very delicate time for for investors to balance reward and risk. Uh, in my humble view, some of the stock prices have moved too high, uh, and so I'm, I'm adjusting my position sizing more aggressively than I usually do just to uh, accommodate that liquidity risk that you asked about. Thank you, Tony. Always interesting to talk to you. That was Tony Bell. He is the head of global at Vunani Fund Managers.